Welcome to Nouveau Shamanic Cinema with Rosa Lewis and Yus Vavort. In this episode, we watch Midsommar, a cult horror film, a horror film about a cult. And we end up discussing community, cultural toxicity, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Enjoy. So everyone, welcome back to Nouveau Shamanic Cinema. It's a very exciting moment because Rosa and I are actually sitting very close to each other. We're in the same room for the first time. Well, we've been in the same room for a few days, but uh, welcome, Rosa. Thanks. And this is very nice. Um, we're very close to the same microphone here recording in Utrecht, the Netherlands. And as part of our time together, we have watched the movie Midsommar. It's a folk horror movie by director Ari Aster. Midsommar is a film about a group of uh, mostly anthropology students, American students, who travel with their Swedish friend to his hippie commune in a remote part of Sweden, somewhere to the north of Stockholm. And it is a essentially a very bright daylight horror film. Mm, yeah. The main character, I would say, in the film is Danny Arder, a young woman who is dating Christian, one of the guys in the group who were originally planning to go to Sweden. And uh, she's sort of brought on board for the trip because of her boyfriend's inability to manage any boundaries. She loses her, uh, her sister and her parents to a murder-suicide at the beginning of the movie, which is one of the most harrowing sequences in the movie, I think. And then her boyfriend sort of feels like he can't leave her behind, uh, which is fair enough, but the way that's handled is all very bad. But uh, she goes along and uh, they all proceed to get caught up in the cult's antics. It's a, it's a cult, you know, spoilers, but it's a cult, and, and end up dying in horrible ways, except Danny, who um, just has a complete mental breakdown but otherwise stays alive. Yeah, so Rosa, what did you think of uh, Midsommar? Yeah, it was amazing, really n- amazing film. And yeah, I think when you were describing it then, the thing that came up, it's almost like a film about toxicity in a way, isn't it? Just like these guys, slightly toxic attitudes and their toxic relationship between the guy and the girl who can't manage the boundaries. And, and then there's that very kind of like normal day-to-day Thing that we all experience and then they're sort of sucked into that toxic cult aren't they where it's obviously on a very extreme an extreme version of that but there's yeah because it's set in midsummer in scandinavia it's all in daylight so you don't get the same like horror show vibes like the darkness and the moody lighting and dark music it's all kind of like very bright and that is interesting as well because it's almost like a little bit like gaslighting your you're like is this scary is this like what yeah exactly (laughs) because your normal kind of response to scary stuff doesn't come online in the same way yeah and it works so well with the um cult trying to pretend things are normal there's a lot of talk about cultural relativism where it's like i mean uh danny is a, a psychology student but the rest of them are all anthropologists and that sort of sense of like well it's just another culture right so the gaslighting is a lot around well, it's just another culture and it's just like a different way of being and we should be open-minded to it, right? Yes, and the the use of psychedelics in that as well. That opening scene when they arrive at the cult is them taking psychedelics and that sort of starts messing with their reality in a way where it's like, oh yeah, we're messing with reality and having a nice time and that kind of opens a door to allow to a different type of reality, I suppose, and, and the cult kind of takes advantage of that. And it's super interesting. And it's also very, very interesting because I think... Maybe we should talk a bit about the context as well. Because so we spent the day, we had a retreat day where we just spent a day kind of like hanging out, I suppose, exploring our inner worlds yeah. in relationship and stuff like that. And then capped off the day by watching Midsummer. And there's something about the like juxtaposition of the really far positive end of playing with reality and like delving deep into inner worlds and stuff like that and then like seeing the extreme dangers of what that can be by watching this movie at the end that's interesting maybe 
Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, and so part of what we were doing during the day was sort of like creating a safe space for each other to let down some boundaries and some defenses. And this is what they're talking about as well, right? They're taking their, their mushroom tea and they're like, it open, it lowers your defenses and opens you to the source, you know? But there's there's such a way in which, which the, the work that we're doing together, this sort of imaginal practice, working with the imagination, working with deep emotions can be really abused. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a lot of what I'm doing and also in the way you teach, it's like trying to sort of not be stuck in the conceptual mind. And there's a way in which in this movie, it's like taking away people's ability to be rational, like taking that away from them. And then there's like a difference is quite subtle, but it's like in the way we work and practice together and teach and stuff, it's like deconstructing the conceptual mind in a slightly different way, isn't it? It's just this subtle... Yeah. That's a difference. And I was thinking actually, like, what's the difference? And maybe we'll delve into the movie a bit m- more in a bit. But I think one of the big signs of the toxicity is there's no space for dissenting voices or disagreement or kind of like criticism is that they sort of like in the movie in various ways it was like sucking away these people's capacity to be able to question or like disagree in a way yeah totally there's so so much of that going on and they're just working like an organism that cult is like working like one being to erode individuality right Mm -hmm. yeah so let's talk a bit about it so the movie starts with this harrowing scene immediately there's sort of like realities are being put into question because Danny is worried about her sister who is bipolar and who has been threatening to kill herself lots of times and arguably like her boyfriend Christian says she's using this as a way to get you riled up and I'm sure there's nothing going on but she's upset and her parents aren't answering because they're dead and her sister uh, isn't answering and it just starts with that sort of like unstable reality that she's mm. that she's working with where yeah. she's worried but she's not sure if she should be worried and uh, she's looking for a sort of safety with her boyfriend but he doesn't really love her anymore i think a performance you know it's easy to underestimate the boyfriend's performance christian's performance mm. because he's just like in every scene in the movie he just wants to get away mm-hmm. he just doesn't want to be there he doesn't yeah. want to do any of this unless there's something to get for himself like the the thesis that he's gonna write and you know he's like a classic a cl- there's a classic anxious avoidant dynamic uh, in there right yeah and she's sort of stuck in this in the middle between a family that's obviously difficult in terms of history of having her reality pushed and things like that and then yeah now stuck with this boyfriend and then the boyfriend has the friends around him who sort of like feed that and I'm sure she could pick up on that and it's like she's coming from a place where her reality is not sort of supported is it not at all yeah no one supports her reality and she's really as we'll see I think victimized because of it mm. you know in all kinds of ways like there's all kinds of abusive responses to that lack of a of a steady reality yeah yeah and one of the things i really liked about the film was the just the subtle in between the transitions between scenes it would be done in really nice ways and just like some subtle shots that played with reality like you'd suddenly be like really high up and looking down on people from a really high perspective or the camera would sort of slowly flip upside down so you're watching everything like a car driving along the road and it'd be upside down yeah or you transition suddenly from one scene in one location to like a few weeks in the future and it's a completely different place but the transition would be simultaneously like jarring and fit together really nicely and there was something about that in that it's sort of like drawing you into this reality where you don't really know where you stand as the viewer you're sort of like getting pulled around a bit and it's kind of messing with your reality a bit and it's very immersive in that way as well in the way it's shot and edited yeah super interesting and that sort of combination of trippy psychedelic reality loosening combined with the constant sense that it's just fine mm. right mm. that's that's where they really get you right it's like oh it's no it's okay it's okay it's all good but it's just getting 
like that sort of combination of the psychedelics and the camera shifts and things just looking normal and looking they're all out in the sunlight mm. it's very interesting yeah so they arrive from from sweden and they drive four hours out into the countryside and they take some psychedelics and a couple of them have a bit of a bad trip and then they sort of wake up from that and head into the commune and it's an interesting vibe isn't it it's like that almost super sort of saccharine sweet spiritual vibe of nice music and like nice outfits and rituals and like welcome to this and yeah. kind of that almost sort of like i call it like faux heartfulness right it's like really sort of like hello welcome we're really glad to have you here it's really no darkness no sort of like realness but just sort of surface level kindness and yeah slightly creepy vibe but also they've clearly got like amazing art at the place haven't they and it's yeah. sort of like you can see from the anthropologist's perspective it, there's lots of interesting stuff it's beautiful location beautiful art beautiful outfits beautiful music beautiful flowers everywhere there's like lots to look at and engage with but there's something creepy about it isn't there yeah and it, there's something about even knowing all the stuff that goes on there there's something attractive about it somehow mm. there's about the religiosity of it i think there's something if you would really believe these things the cycle of nature and sort of giving back and the old people jumping off the rocks there's something beautiful even in that sort of visceral the bloodiness of mm. it that sort of combination of sort of like beauty and then bloody rawness there is a, a certain type of physicality i guess mm. there's something about the physical being very present which is kind of seductive even if it's amoral and horrible you know interesting yeah 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 because there is darkness in it isn't there it's just, it's just like a something is like it's so rich and so engaging and compelling and so much good stuff in it but it's just like slightly off key and then that impacts everything and turns the whole thing from something into like this really kind of rich thing into this like really creepy place. Yeah, I agree I agree but I, I sort of feel like the off keyness is part of its allure mm, you know it's like it's like yeah it's like really visiting another planet mm. I mean and the thing that makes it fucked up is that mm -hmm. they're humans mm -hmm. you know like this is not good for people to be mm -hmm. like this in a way it's like the group has just walked into like a lion's den mm. you know it's like they are just like this they're mm -hmm. weirdly collectivized pagan people and for them, this way of being could potentially be actually pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Except that they're still humans. So yeah. they, they are not going to be so different from other humans mm -hmm. to not get, get immensely fucked up by this. Mm -hmm. But there's something about how they're presenting themselves where it's like, okay, it's harsh. It's brutal. The collective is above everything. But... In a way, there is, I think, something, at least in me, and I'm very individualistic person, I think, mm -hmm. that understands what, what the allure is in getting lost in that sort of like primal collective, let's say. Yeah, I think the off-keyness, because I, to I totally agree, I, I really like stuff like that, but I think the off-keyness with this is that it's all about appearance. It's interesting. You never really get an insight into the inner worlds of anyone who is there but it's all this appearance isn't it it's like these rituals where you everyone behaves in the same way on the outside and then they gaslight people's inner experience it felt almost like everyone's disconnecting from their inner experience yes. behaving in the same way on the outside which i think is different to this sort of like possible way of being where you're kind of really in tune with each other and there's a really strong scene as well and and, and again this cuts in on a very subtle difference of things that i talk about with the heart states and like there's almost like no words that capture this but the subtle difference between things like compassion empathy sympathy embodied compassion there's a scene where she's the main character is absolutely like devastated by something and she's kind of like crying out in pain and is just like absolutely yeah just like wailing and she's got obviously a lot of pain in her from her family all dying and then she's in this like horrible situation and she's just like absolutely wailing and crying on the floor on her knees and all the women from the cult come and they join in with her wailing and they sort of like get into sync with her in a way where they're all wailing together and it's like in a way it's like compassion is feeling alongside is kind of one definition of it but there's the way that this is done it's like 
by joining in with her, they're kind of drowning her out, aren't they? They're yes. like not letting her, she's got something in her that she needs to express and it needs to come out and it needs to be like received and felt and make an impact on the world. And like, it needs to be like that feeling when you've got something in you that's so painful and it's like, ah, it just has to like ah, come out yeah. through tears or screaming or whatever or talking yeah. about it. Right. And the other person's there to like receive it and, and they're sort of feeling alongside because they're with you in it. But when they sort of behave in a way where they're all acting the same, so it's like, oh, we're feeling alongside and we're, we're, we're really feeling it with you. And we're kind of like, they're all, they will get into this like rhythmic wailing where they're doing it with her. Suddenly her reality doesn't exist anymore. They, they've just sort of nullified it. Yeah, exactly. No, that's very well observed, uh, Rosa. I think that the fact that it's all theater, mm, right? It's just yeah. theater. It's just yeah. theater and you don't know what's going on inside. Yeah. There are some signs of individuality, but they're strictly expressed through what's allowed. So for instance, Maya, the, the young woman who is destined to sleep with Christian, is clearly excited about this prospect and working towards it. But she's also been ordained because it's a perfect astrological match, right? So any individuality that you see, people have their own personalities. It's that's sort of there more or less, but it can only be expressed through ritual. And I think that that's where you can separate the worldview and the collectivism in a way as well. Some of the elements of the worldview, the sort of being one with nature, mm. cycles, harvest seasons that sort of like you could say pagan imaginary that nazis love so much which is i mean i think there's a lot of comments to be made on fascism and how it relates to this collective sort of like mm -hmm. everything for the collective kind of thing there's something beautiful and attractive about it but because it's so formalized and there's no space for individual expression that's what's really horrible about it i think and like you say the drowning out of the they do this a bunch of times like the first horrible scene where we are sort of like and i love this scene so mm. much the scene where the two old people jump off the cliff and kill themselves at the, at the stupan ceremony. That is like a, a transitional example because they are doing that out of their own free will. It's very horrible, but you could sort of see why it would be good. It's like, oh, you're just giving your life and it's gruesome, but it's another culture. So the goriness, you know, we just have a different relationship with death and physicality. And in a way that's beautiful, right? But then the one guy falls down wrong and, and just his legs are just ripped apart. And he just lies there gurgling and they, they know that this can happen. So they're prepared. So they have a massive like spiked hammer and they smash his face in. But before that happens, the guy is just dying and it's just suffering. The whole crowd goes into sort of sympathetic screaming and it's like it's drowning it out. Like you say with Danny's tears, it doesn't change his pain really. I mean, maybe he's so far in it that, that, that it does help. But that, that's such a fascinating transitional scene and the gaslighting that the movie tries to do for everyone and with everyone is really there in that moment, I think. Yeah, and it's like up until that point, I think this is part of creepiness as well. It's the creeping movement of creepiness. It's like slowly inching towards a space where it's like painting people into a corner it's sort of like a sunken cost fallacy thing, isn't it? Or like a fear to... It's like if you just arrived somewhere and it was obviously violent and aggressive, they'd have just left. But because they were sort of invested and kind of included and like joined in and then it's like... And then suddenly it's like, yeah, these two old people commit suicide off the top of a cliff and it's all gory. It's like not that much of a further step from where they were and... Yeah, I think one of the people, one of the sort of outsiders, so there's the four, four Americans and then there's two British people and one of the British people was just like really freaked out and speaking up, weren't they? They mm. were like shouting about it, just like, what the fuck, like what that? Really freaked out and all the culty members were just not phased by it. They were just like, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought that the uh, the head priestess had an interesting energy, this lady, because she seemed to be most aware of everything in a way. She's sort of in tune with the whole cult experience, but she seems to have a sort of savviness. I think especially like the elders, they, they clearly know what they're doing. Like they're mm. very aware. They're not yeah. victims in this. They no. are aware. Yeah. 
of what they're doing and they're yeah. smart about it and yeah. they're manipulative and everything, right? Yeah. But that lady seems to be the smartest about it. She has, you know, has a sort of, says in a sort of convincing tone, this is just our way of life. This is an old ceremony, right? And this kind of thing. Yeah, there's something really interesting interesting there. And and what I what I really like is is how they keep everyone invested. Like, because everyone, well, it's sex and anthropo- anthropological interest, right? Mm-hmm. Mark, the clown of the group, is just like, you know, sexually, uh, interested in these beautiful Swedish women and Christian and uh, and and Josh. Josh is the most passionate anthropologist. Mm-hmm. He's a uh, he's a black guy and and uh, and it's interesting how the village elders treat him with subtly less respect, mm. and subtly more. They just listen a little bit less to what he has to say. There's sort of some racism there as well. And uh, but they are interested in the anthropology. They're they're looking to they're blinded a little bit by what's going on in the beginning because they're too keen to get. Some something mm. right so all the guys are like this danny isn't like this but her reality isn't strong enough to really go away right yeah and she's just being gaslit by christian by his friends by bella the f- swedish friend who is sort of hitting on her and manipulating her and gaslighting her yeah her reality isn't uh, isn't strong enough not to go along with any of this mm. yeah. yeah and that manipulative aspect of it which i think you mentioned is like at the end it reveals that they knew all along what they were doing because at the end they revealed that at this sort of summer ceremony they needed to sacrifice nine humans of which four of them had to be outsiders so yeah the guy Pele had kind of befriended them in America and sort of purposefully taken them on this trip and the whole time had been grooming them and manipulating them and just to get them there so that they could be sacrificed and yeah that sort of like clued inness as well is part of this like what's happening on the surface versus what's happening on the inside versus what's the intentions versus yeah these kind of different things that can be so far out of alignment this sort of like such beautiful surface level thing that can be twisted and manipulated in various ways to appear a certain way but underneath there's like all this manipulation and, and horrible gruesome stuff that's happening yeah, I'm sure that pretty soon we'll need to talk a bit about how this relates to our own experiences, right? right? I, I am, I, I was already thinking like, what, what would it be like to be on this trip, right? I mm. think that, I think that I would definitely, I don't know about you, but I would definitely be very interested in seeing this community. And then I wonder what my reaction would be to the people killing themselves, right? It's just a, such a horrible thing. But yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, that, that sort of like disconnect between the beautiful surface and what's going on. Like someone like that Pelle, who has been working that group mm-hmm. for a while. The level of clued inness that he must have about so many things to be able to do that. Super devious. Mm-hmm. And then to sort of like have that be in service of what looks ostensibly like a very simple, clean way of being in the world. It's harsh and brutal, but it's clean. That is is fascinating. Yeah, that mind game is basically justifying the means for the end, isn't it? Yeah. You're like, but we create this beautiful thing. And it's like, well, I was thinking as well, what would it be like if I was on that trip? And I think there is a part of me that is so open-minded, like all the stuff about, you know, people have decided that they do it willingly, they don't want to grow old, they'd rather die, like and living in cycles with nature and all of that you know I can see from that perspective for sure but I think I'd just be like looking for people's inner worlds which just weren't there and just asking people like how do you feel about this like where like where like where are you in this where's the emotion where's the realness where's the like sense of feeling alive and present and like that was just not allowed, completely missing. It's just like a facade. Yeah. Right? And uh, and in a way, it's funny because they're, none of them were really good anthropologists in that mm. sense. Like they were yeah. just like too interested in the form mm-hmm. to uh, to try to connect to the humanness of it, mm. right? So there, I mean, all the characters except Danny are basically assholes. Mm-hmm. And like all the boys are assholes, mm-hmm. you know. And Danny, Danny is very, very unfortunate to be with him. But uh, yeah, there's no no sense of what it's like to be them. But there's a there's a way in which 
I think there almost is no inner world, right? It's like they've gaslit it out of people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And this, this is interesting, actually, because this is how I see like a, a Buddhist monastery or whatever that, that's like built on this idea of emptiness, in a sense, that doesn't include kind of rich inner world interconnectedness. It's almost like this. It's like that doesn't exist. It's not real. It's kind of like gaslighting that inner world, that individuality. And you can sort of gaslight it out of people, can't you? But it doesn't mean, I mean, it's a good question. Does it mean that that's not there? Because it kind of wasn't there in them. But then then it's sort of like, it's, it's like becomes a big collective shadow, doesn't it? And like an individual shadow where... Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if the collectiveness has caused the psychopathy. There's something interesting here about this is essentially a new age cult. Mm-hmm. So are they really doing all traditions, right? With this kind of pagan cults, mm-hmm. it's always the question, right? Mm-hmm. And and, and the, the common understanding is typically, well, they're making up something, mm-hmm. you know, they're pretending it's very old mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, they were talking about generations of generations, but, but who knows, maybe this group was started in the Romantic era, like in the 19th century, mm-hmm. as a sort of reenactment, right? Mm-hmm. Because that stuff was everywhere then. And, and you know, think about pre-World War II, Nazi Germany and Thule societies and stuff like that. So... But maybe the sort of like collectivism is what created that communal shadow. And that just went further and further because there was no one to own it. Yeah, because it's like the collective mind is correct. And so the shadow is that you can't speak out against it. And the feeling uncomfortable because the kind of the reason not to do things is because you feel things, isn't it? It's like, oh, this doesn't feel good. Mm. the way they dress the gory stuff up makes it seem pretty and it's like oh yeah your your mind can kind of get on board with it so in order to like push back against it and keep your moral compass alive you have to be in touch with like the heart and the emotions and the sort of visceral respect for life that comes from like survival and care and it's like if you just gaslight that out of people then you can almost they can like do anything they can kind of become this hive mind that can just yeah like you were saying the sort of nazi kind of like hypnotic it's almost hypnotic isn't it the that sort of collective experience where you're just hypnotized into you can be hypnotized into anything almost Uh, very interesting yeah so heartful practice is a guard against this stuff Mm. but true heartful practice right yeah because i think there's a danger so there's a concept and we've talked about this before you know that's also a part of academic literature which is closing down pretending to be opening up and i know Mm. that that, that, that you the reason i brought it up as a literature is because you were talking about it yeah uh, that this is also part of spiritual practice Mm -hmm. right so for instance you could do hard practice but in a way where it closes down like entire layers of experience Mm. and you feel very heartful yes but you're actually disconnecting yourself so you're gaslighting yourself out of your own depth and that's uh, sort of that spiritual bypass kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think a lot of spirituality, like the, the the kind of Buddhism that I was talking about, it's like a, it's like a sort of hypnotizing, maybe rather than a gaslighting. It's like a collective hypnotizing, mm. where people are just hypnotizing themselves and each other into a certain state. And it's like that can be quite pleasant and that it can be benign it can be pleasant but it's not reality i think that's it's like a sort of closing of kind of hypnotizing ourselves into this way of experiencing the world because that feels good for us and it's like as long as that's sort of explained in that way then it's fine but it's when there's a hidden bit that is like people are sort of hypnotizing themselves into experiencing the world in a certain way and this is the truth and you can't question it that's when you get the collective shadows Mm. you get people who can manipulate it and play power games and sort of be playing kind of one game on the surface level with the collective and then playing their own sort of power game where they're trying to I don't know like do whatever that high priestess woman was doing kind of snaring people in and then in order to sacrifice them in this case but that reminds me of so many things, right? So like if I think of the, the film Wild Wild Country about the Bhagwan cult, the Osho mm. cult, that is also uh, closing down, pretending to be opening up because mm. they're like shutting down rational faculties. They're turning people into children, essentially, by saying you can do everything and you can like let your shadow in and everything and just be really wild and sort of like primal. But they are closing down other, other parts of experience. 
And that's where you get all this, and then all that toxicity that happened and the murder and whatever. And I sometimes have thought about this because in spiritual organization, meditation groups and whatever, people are skeptical about this ever going right. And, mm. and part of me feels like, why should it go wrong with spiritual practice when you just have these problems everywhere? Like it's mm -hmm. like any organization, right? And I think it's partly because you pretend it doesn't happen, but also partly because the stuff that you're working with is at such depth. Mm ostensibly and it's so personal that the danger of that shadow developing is far greater than just with work yeah 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 and there's more space for it to be abused yeah this is interesting as well because one of the things i do a lot of stuff with energy it's kind of like the universe i exist in the realm i exist in the way i make sense of the world the way i experience it it's just sort of vibes and energy and but i don't talk about it that much in that way i do talk about it a bit and partially that's because I think back to my younger self, you know, whenever my 20-year-old self, and I hated it when people talked about energy. It was, I mean, I wasn't a spiritual person at all or a religious person at all. And energy was always a massive trigger. And I think it's because it's so nebulous. There's like so much capacity for people to just like project their shadow into it and like get lost in this world where where it's like manipulating people, controlling people, like being a victim, you know, just all these kind of like challenging behaviors that everyone has. It's like in a concept like energy that is so nebulous, it's almost just like ripe for people putting mm. all their shadows in it and hiding them away somehow. And this works for everything, I guess, that's magnetic. A relationship with nature can be a mm. source of hypnotic shadow mm -hmm. hiding, right? Uh, collectivity, uh, all this stuff. Yeah, it's really interesting. The sort of sense of normalcy, right? It's uh, and, and shifting that. And sexuality and how, and, mm -hmm. and sort of the, I guess the collectivization of sexuality in the movie was also quite interesting. That was intense, right? yeah. And very open and, mm -hmm. you know, Basically, it all looked ritual and all, all looked nice, but basically he's, he's being drugged into being raped. Yeah. Right, the guy, right, yeah. Christian. And yeah. Like, I mean, and that's, and that's what's really happening. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but it's just like sort of like group organized and sort of made smooth and made beautiful and mm -hmm. made feel, to feel right. Yeah, right? but he has no way out of it. There's no way out of it. Yeah. 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 I'm just reminded of all the ways in which this sort of cult-like collectivi collectivity and shadow hiding happens. And I could give you sort of easy examples, like I've been to a Shambhala meeting where I caused maybe some um, discomfort by asking all these difficult questions where they were like, yo, you'll learn that in year three. And you know, the Shambhala is like a Buddhist movement and they have had lots of problems with abuse and sexual abuse and, and, and misconduct. But I'm thinking of also things like academia, for instance. Mm. Academia is very much a cult. There is a collective, I mean, it's an individualistic culture, but there's very much a sense of sort of like what is normal and it's normal to work yourself to death. And you're joking on Twitter about I'm working again, it's Saturday night kind of thing, you know, ha ha ha, hashtag academia. And it's all these ways of normalizing really insane behavior that you don't see if you grow up in the culture. And with academia, I've very much grown up in the culture. I was always meant to be an academic and like I went straight from my master's into, into my PhD. So I've definitely been captured by academia and by the values and the fears and working really hard and just sort of like responding to those pressures. It happens in many places, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think it is super common, isn't it? And I guess one of the dangers of the spirituality is that it, you lose your sense of self. That's kind of part of it. Because I think in academia, part of the thing that stops it getting, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's toxic and it's, it's really bad for people when they're overworking and stuff like that, but they're kind of doing it for their own self-reward. And then that self becomes a sort of, it's like a safety catch. The self, and we've, we've talked about how the self comes from fear. And I think like that fear and that self-preservation, it's like super important in a way. And it's almost like, you know, people will get to the point where they're burnt out and have to take time off, which is obviously not, you know, it's not what you want, but it's kind of like that that can happen and then they take themselves out of that situation or they realize, you know, they're kind of like doing this career and they want to succeed and get really far and then they realize that's not going to happen so they kind of redirect they're getting something out of it whereas in spirituality you're sort of being asked to surrender yourself and not bring yourself in and that's so so you almost like take 
your safety mechanism down, take your safety mechanism away. And then like, if a group can successfully get people to get rid of themselves, then everyone's just ripe for the manipulating, aren't they? Like exactly in the, in the Osho cult or in this in midsummer or whatever. Yeah, that's really interesting because it's like once you take those boundaries away, you, you can play people like a piano, mm. right? They're, they're just resonating. And people really want to drop their defenses mm. they want to be safe in community right that's that's something we really want and that's where we are vulnerable yeah and that's super interesting actually because that's something like in the way that i work it's always like bring your fears in bring your worries in like your fears are there for a reason your trauma's there for a reason your boundaries are there for a reason like bring it in and work with it and f- yeah it's almost like everyone's totally traumatized and stressed into this narrow self and people are like really want to just relax it and be able to be more free and less constrained by it but it's like the way to do that safely is to include that sense of it's like the fear that keeps the self intact is there for a reason and so what does that fear need to in order to feel safe so that it can relax and still be there and present we're not like taking the fear offline and just being like that bit's not part of you Mm. But it's like, okay, so this thing's afraid, like what would stop it being afraid? Or like this boundary's really rigid and fixed because it's had to protect itself somehow. Like how can that boundary be softened? Like what would help it in a safe way, in a way where it's not gonna be like, oh, drop the boundary and then anything can come in. It's like, how can that boundary be more flexible and Mm. be something that you can have some optionality in how you show up in the world? This is so, it's so interesting to me because I feel like we've talked about, like this even this week, about sort of trusting yourself, trust and distrust of yourself. And I feel like as uh, people in a sort of guiding role that we are often in, whether it's with this or work or whatever, distrusting your own impulses can also be really important as Mm. a teacher if you have full trust in your own capacities without ever questioning it i feel like as a biologist uh, speaking from the biologist perspective humans are very well equipped to survive and to work out how to make things work for them i I don't i don't necessarily believe that humans are uh fundamentally egotistical i don't think that at all but i do think that you know so the i mean biological research just shows that altruism is a survival strategy and it feels like that it's not only we're not manipulating each other Mm -hmm. we feel like that right Mm -hmm. it's it's a felt and true and therefore true experience Mm -hmm. uh, to be connecting and to be empathetic but i do believe that there are ways that there are parts of the human mind and body that are aware of how sort of certain desires can be met Mm. that's the shadow side right that Mm -hmm. that shadow stuff and i feel like as people who are in guiding or teaching positions we should keep an eye out and check with others or whatever whether these things are secretly being expressed so for instance an example that i thought of is um, like chula dasa for instance who has said himself that when he started to do body work with the bioemotive framework uh, with dark tatarin he discovered that a lot of the stuff that he was doing was doing uh, he was sort of in a role of service to people because that's what he was trained to do as a child with a mom who was really difficult or whatever and that his meditation had made him blind for his own sort of like deep emotional wounds mm-hmm. he just he, he, like he's doing a lot of shamatha practice right a lot of concentration practice he said it's just invisible you just look through it yeah and it's funny because later he still got into lots of trouble and uh, and then defended it in a really stupid way. So, I mean, he, he was on the right track, but I guess, right, right. And that's, that's, that's interesting to me. So if you don't have enough mistrust of your own ability to, I don't, I don't know, maybe there's like a caring mistrust, like a gentle mistrust of your own motivation somehow. Yeah, I think it's more a humility, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, it's kind of like mistrust isn't a shadow you're allowed to mistrust your experience yes yeah the tmi the mind illuminates tudor dasa's technique is a perfect example of that kind of hypnotic thing it's like and it's super helpful for people it really helps loads of people but the problem is is when you say this is the truth or this will show you the truth then that everything that isn't that becomes a shadow and you become blind to it and you hypnotize yourself into this false reality whereas actually that's like one very important piece of a puzzle or one dimension of experience that you're kind of need to open in line with other parts because otherwise you get yourself into trouble where you can't see parts of yourself or parts of experience see parts of others and those parts exactly like you were saying those parts don't go away you hypnotize yourself into a reality 
where you are experiencing it a certain way and seeing it a certain way but all the underlying stuff that you're not connecting with doesn't go away that's still very much present and so the desire the emotions the need for connection the bodily needs they're all still happening under the surface but they're not allowed to be there and so you twist them and manipulate them into this false worldview where on the surface it's all pretty and Mm. flowers and we're all kind (laughs) but on on the underneath it's like all the darkness and then it's maybe this is an interesting thing to talk a bit more about what we did in the day because there was something specifically like we took some time and one of the things that's, that's really nice and I really appreciate is a sense of sort of shared love of darkness and which obviously you know comes out in this podcast and mm-hmm. um and shared capacity for it and shared connection to it I think which is like very much present in both of our experiences yeah. and we're well aware of it and we connect with it in, in various ways in each of our lives and taking the attitude we went in with of just like making space for each other and allowing yeah just allowing stuff to come out it's like understanding that the safety of knowing that we can hold the space for each other and it can be safe and it can be like things can emerge and there's a degree of like trust and safety and I guess like just shared understanding of each other that then whatever's inside can kind of emerge that feels like the antidote to this sort of hypnotic false realities and I I think it comes through also through the shared imaginal practice stuff that we do and we lead as well but um, it was nice to do that for each other and just make space for it as well. I agree and I think it's a hard assignment for people right Mm. it's not so easy to offer that space Mm -hmm. and I think that maybe many of the people who want to do it aren't equipped for it and many of the people are very equipped for it they have a way of being where they're like they're just doing it sort of organically right Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting assignment I Mm -hmm. think for people to uh, to have to engage with this sort of like theater shadow repressing theater that we see in the movie that then gets expressed in this horrible stuff which is by making it ritualized again de-shadowed right mm-hmm. like horrible acts of cruelty are just de-shadowed mm-hmm. by bringing them into this sort of formalized structure uh, there's a lot of that in society at large as well like there's lots of stuff being repressed and being pushed away into the theater of of society and in so many ways we're not allowed to be full humans in, at work and in and in collective context Mm -hmm. I would find it horrible I think to be in this place because I as a child used to be very homesick on boy scout camp because it was a bit like this it forces you into a certain frame you have to be a certain version of yourself obviously it was more individualistic than that and it was much more room for individualistic creativity but there was a very strong group discourse of what it was like to be tough what it was like to be cool especially when we got a bit older and then it's like this super diverse group of people. They're like very intelligent kids. They're kids, they have like behavioral problems and, and learning problems. And they're all shoved into like one format and one uniform. And the interesting is that it also emerges from the group. So it's not just like the instructors or the camp leaders told us to be like that and everyone just fell in line as like soldiers. Instead, part of the, in a way, the problem was that the culture was, I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been nice to be top down, but like the culture was bottom up and this really toxic culture emerged instead where we were just like the weakest or the youngest would get all the shit. The leaders, they were like 20 year olds or something. We were maybe like, well, I start, I, I went there when I was 10 and I, and I finished when I was maybe 15. But when I was sort of 13, 14 and older, we were just relentlessly attacking these camp leaders and just calling them horrible names all day. It was just a power struggle. We were just beating them into dust, you know? So it's not like this, but there is a sort of, the collectivity stuff can just emerge. And you know, the Dharma Garage is a very different example, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the the counter to that. And I think that this comes from really getting people to tune in with themselves. It's like first you individually, individuate and then you can feel the interconnection yes and it's like really trusting your own body really trusting your own heart i think we both naturally do this in our guidance as well when we've done retreats and things like that it's like you're encouraging people to question everything but in their own way in their own experience Mm. and like to step into their own experience and connect from that place rather than to like leave all that at the door and just connect in that's super interesting because that also allows interactions in our meditation group to be surprising 
right. it allows for surprise and emergence and no one's really got the wheel mm-hmm. not really right yeah. we, one of us might be guiding the process yeah but that allows for spectacularly surprising things to happen yeah that's amazing yeah that's that's kind of like the one of the really nice outcomes of it and i think that part of it is often if one of us guides something and we have a feedback session afterwards it's like someone will just be like that did not land for me at all or whatever or like say whatever mm-hmm. whatever or like i had the absolute opposite experience or i'm really that made me really really struggle with this and it's kind of like allowing people to have that experience and to feed it back to you and engage with it and I think what you were saying before about people not having capacity I think being able to do that as a teacher as a facilitator as a leader takes a huge amount of having done your personal work because it's quite vulnerable to sort of get up and do a guided meditation or do a thing and then for someone to be able to come back and just give you like their full force experience you have to be able to not take it personally and not take it as criticism and just let that person have their reality and just really engage with it and be like oh cool like tell me more about that like how was it for you what happened like and then you're guiding that person into connecting deeply with their experience and it's like oh meditation or whatever practice you're doing whatever thing you're doing it's not we're trying to get you to have this fixed experience it's here's a thing that might help you and what is your experience it's like a co-created reality rather than a enforced reality or a hypnosis into an experience yeah and i think that that sort of surprise that comes from that is so important the mm. sort of emergent surprise and just insights and that's how it just goes really fast and like mm-hmm. people learn a lot and they mm-hmm. ha- there's a lot of space for people to learn from their own realities and it's really powerful and yeah 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 and the flip side of that is like most most of the time it's people saying wow that was amazing and it had this huge impact on me Mm. and then yeah like you say it's really cool to hear what that's like and other people learning from each other and then it becomes this like collaborative conversation where everyone's learning from each other and it's so much more rich than just one teacher saying this is the correct way of experiencing or that makes me remember a scene in the movie about real lived experience where uh, the two guys I think it's Ingmar and Ulf who volunteered to be burned mm. are in the temple in the wooden structure that's going to be burned with the with the corpses of the people who were killed uh, with uh, Christian being paralyzed as in the bear and they are just looking at each other with this sort of loving eyes because they know that they're just going home right apparently there's a much longer director's cut version of the film where kids are practicing so they play a game where one of them volunteers to be sacrificed and the others Mm. go how brave of you and then the kid says what is brave about going home you know they're just being primed wow on a young age amazing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that feels important in a way doesn't it yeah it does that that, that, that's sort of like part of it and Mm -hmm. um, they are sitting there fully convinced that they're doing the right thing and they're just going to go into the light of their sort of cycle and whatever and they they've been given stuff that supposedly stops them from being afraid and feeling pain and then the fire touches them and they start screaming Mm. and then things are real again that's it yeah right and And then it's personal yeah doesn't matter how much you hypnotize yourself you can't escape reality yes you can't escape the fact that you're in a physical body in a world that experiences pain experiences emotions yeah, and then of course everyone starts screaming, mm, right? doing their doing their sort of gaslighty, doing a gaslighting about compassion. their compassion to themselves as mm, well, right? They're also yeah. gaslighting themselves that they're providing, and yeah. I'm sure they're feeling it, you know. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the first time I watched the movie, I was like, oh, I, I, maybe I'm too too used to science fiction shit or something, but I was like, oh, they're a hive mind, you know? Mm. They're like actually magical somehow. I don't know. That's yeah. very, a very dumb take, uh, and but but no, it's obvious that they're not. Uh, yeah, I think. well, it's sort of. Is and isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, they've they've (laughs) encultured themselves into a hive mind, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's a more painful realization if you sort of understand that it's like when people say, "I'm really empathetic because I just think what other people feel and it's true." Mm, Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I'm an empath because whatever I think other people feel is true. Yes. So so they're like, oh, they're like screaming and crying, but it's not the same thing as burning alive, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah very interesting yeah and maybe it's worth saying as well the super creepy scene so they drugged this guy into yeah into rape basically yes and then they sort of drug him some more don't they and knock him out and 
then they kind of open his eyes. And what does the lady say? The lady says, uh, Christian, you cannot speak and you cannot move. Okay? With this sort of sweet smile on her face. Yeah. And this like, kind of sweetness of just like, on the surface, I'm being nice to you. <laughs> but he's like paralyzed in this wheelchair. And they give Danny, who's his girlfriend, the choice whether he is going to burn alive or whether one of people from the cult is going to burn alive. So he's kind of being sent to trial about whether he's going to get burnt alive, which he does. Mm. But on the surface, yeah. everything's lovely. Aren't we nice? We're just being nice to you. Everything is just nice, yeah. yeah. Actually, it, it reminds me that there are some links between the films that we've watched so far because there's a link to Mandy, mm. where there's also a murdering hippie cult, yeah. except they're much worse at their job and they're yeah. much more around that narcissistic person. Mm -hmm. So they don't have that hive mind mm. benefit of sort of like moving like clockwork and just observe, right? Because one of the reasons this group is so powerful is because they are all subservient to the, to the whole. Mm -hmm. So they are working, they're giving their lives, they're they're willing to die and everything and in Mandy it's this cult around this one narcissistic person it's the opposite cult they, they look similar in mm -hmm. some ways well I mean but at least this guy sort of has this sort of hippie vibe and hippie Jesus music and then Mandy is drugged and is told to sort of worship him and then mm -hmm. she just laughs in his face with this sort of rebellious like Luciferian laugh and then they kill her and then, of course, uh, Red, Nicolas Cage, goes on a murder spree to kill mm. them all. It's the darkness that's coming, it's coming back for them. But it's, the, it's like the opposite, you know, because this is like a personality, one authority. It's enslaving everyone. And here it's the collective. Yeah, this is super interesting as well, because I was reflecting yesterday when we were watching it, how the end scene is the same as well, the burning down of the temple. But in Mandy, it's Nicolas Cage burning it down in, in a kind of act of defiance. In this, it's like the cult is burning it. And there's something about the almost opposite nature of that loss of self. In Mandy, it's like control by this guy, which is the narcissism. It's kind of like controlling people. And then in this, it's like sort of surrender. It's kind of the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's too far, isn't it? It's surrender. And then you get manipulation rather than control. Hmm. And it's almost like similar effects, but from opposite ends of the spectrum. And they're both the opposite of open, connected heartfulness, which is like, yeah, that kind of realness and really being with experience. They kind of somehow split in, into opposite ends. Yeah. And, and then there is uh, the alien version of it in Upstream Color, mm. which also has a sort of alien interconnectedness, mm -hmm. which is real. It's real in a different way. It's not, so, it's not a social reality. It's a biological reality mm -hmm. and it has an alien quality to it right it's mm -hmm. an alien connectedness with the life cycle and everything there and there there is also an attempt to control that cycle there is this criminal who uses mm -hmm. the, the the sort of like linking effect of that chemical the bug the flower whatever mm -hmm. everything to steal shit from people mm -hmm. right so there's that sort of like alien ecology there's an ecological way of being interconnected there's sort of the the whole which is clearly the whole and then there's the sort of control and in upstream color it was it was more distributed it's like a sort of like cloud-like entity that mm -hmm. moves between different people but no, nobody's serving if i mean they're serving the purpose of the cycle but the cycle is just there so there's interesting links there as well but and then that's harder to understand because it's really alien yeah i'm interested as well in the antidotes to each of these right. things is different isn't it yeah so in Mandy, it's like he goes on the killing spree and he's like, because they're controlling, he just has to take them all out. Right. Like they're going down. You have to defeat them kind of thing. And then the burning it down reminds me of my phrase, like burn down the barn so you can see the moon. It's just like the right. capacity, which I have a lot of. Right. Just like anything that's sort of yeah. trying to control or like an overly dominant narrative or something mm -hmm. like that. It's just like, yeah, burn it down, burn mm -hmm. it down, burn it down. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like... It's that there's something in that the burning was sort of used in this cult, wasn't it? As a kind of, as part of it. And it's almost like the antidote to it needs to be different. Yes, sort of. because of course this story just ends badly for everyone, including for Danny. Yeah. 
there are some people who deign to believe that she's happy finally, but it's ridiculous because mm-hmm. she's just completely absorbed. It, it, you essentially show the process yeah. of how they end up without an individual self because they're just being stripped of their individuality. And so in Upstream Color, the antidote to this weird alien distributed ecology was love and human connection yeah these two people working it out and Mm -hmm. deciphering the cycle deciphering Mm -hmm. the process and the connect connection and imagination and suddenly they were able to see that guy it was connection in a way in mandy it's also connection and love mandy's laugh at the crazy cult and then red's violence against them and their bond of love creates the impotence for vengeance Mm -hmm. otherwise it's just a cold world and he wouldn't have taken revenge on them because you know everyone's just horrible then i remember you saying it's like because of the love he really knew what mattered they fucked with the wrong people because those two were two people knew what mattered when they took her away from him he was like no yeah not okay not okay (laughs) and and like i think in upstream color love helped them work out what was going on Mm. it was more gentle it was more about connecting worlds communicating deciphering the fact that somehow thoreau's walden was the key like all this crazy shit in that movie yeah and we can look at all these movies right if you can look at uh, event horizon yeah love and seeing clearly and, yeah. and and sort of accepting was the was the antidote to chaos so we yeah. i mean we, we got a picture here of control um bottom up uh, sort of like surrender strange ecological interconnectedness chaos yeah. and then we have it Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it is sort of alien hunger right and there love and connectedness was love is just the answer <laughs> just, but the question is mm-hmm. um how does that work with this film because yeah, it yeah. works for all these other things where the threat is clear yeah i think uh, pennywise loneliness and devouring hunger you know um event horizon it's just playing evil and like uh, mandy it's an evil cult and like and in uh, upstream color it's a strange alien ecology but here the love is yeah, yeah, there's something super interesting that just came up about the process we went through and also this movie where I could relate to Danny in terms of having had the difficult experiences with family and, you know, being unsure about realities in certain mm. way and then, and then kind of having a lot of experiences where my reality was just completely up in question. There was just... You know, like, what is even real? And it's almost like what she needed was someone to just come in and, like, support her in her reality. And that's almost, like, part of what we did in the day, wasn't it? And that what you've been for me has been, like, a kind of strong support of just, like, yeah, supporting what my reality is and being there and kind of being a source of space of allowing and Mm. emotional support in it. And And that's, that's it, because, of course... Midsummer is just as much about the breaking down of the relationship. Well, I mean, the badness, I would mm-hmm. say. I don't know if it was ever good, but the, yeah. the badness of the relationship between Danny and Christian. Yeah. And if Christian and Danny would have had, like, look at the, they, they even put the uh, alternative in there with Connie and Simon, who stuck together and really wanted to get out of there. They were still yeah. killed. So, yeah. I mean, but at least they were resisting it. And they yeah. were resisting it because they shared a reality. Mm-hmm. And the other group didn't really share a reality. They were selfish fuckers. And yeah. Danny's reality was very weak. So they were easy to pick, pick off. They're like a reverse Katet. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Okay, Katet, listen to the It episode, everyone. Because <laughs> that, that, that is a concept from Stephen King, which is about a sort of fate-bound group that are united in a shared reality. And their reality together is very strong mm-hmm. uh, and allows them to fight Uh, anything yeah and i think the difference is that you're building a shared reality but part of the shared reality is that you're supporting each person to grow and have Mm. their own reality it's like both individuation and interconnectedness and collectivism at the same time yes yes very nice there's another katet in in stephen king's work which has four adults and they're very different people from each other now one of them has multiple personality disorder one of them is a drug addict and there and then there's a kid and there's a sort of like Clint eastwood cowboy figure but they're just completely different people but it's all about them getting to know each other as people and Mm. that's building the strength you know and getting to know their differences and their different skills and their different realities and how that's building their strength this is it's almost like what happens to a group of people who don't really love each other Mm, (laughs) yes yeah you're a prey for hippie cults yes interesting cool nice 
maybe let's end with just mentioning if you if you can think of it quickly one favorite little scene and my, one of my favorite scenes mm-hmm. that I just think is very funny is when um, Christian is has taken he's you know he gets a cup of stuff and the woman is like it breaks down your defenses <laughs> and it opens you up to the influence and he's like I'm gonna have a bad trip she says no you won't and he takes it right he's, he's trying to assert his reality and takes it and then he's sitting there at the dinner really hunched over and having a bad trip and he asks this old man this kind of gentle old man like what is going on and the old man just goes like claps his hands together in this really disturbing way that's like really what you can do to fuck with someone's trip mm-hmm. and he's and, and it just reverberates like boom. and he just looks at him crying and he's like why did you do that and I thought I just thought that was amazing it's very really funny. nice very yeah. horrible yeah <laughs> I don't know do you have any any uh, um, like a moment or anything that comes up where you're like oh that was I very think, poignant or yeah I think for me there's something about so they kill a bear and they take out his innards and then they put Christian in the bear yes this, and he's just sat in the bear before they burn them to death and there's something that just resonates on a it's like a symbolism that I don't fully understand, but just that image of him sitting in a bear <laughs> is somehow... It's a lot to bear for him, yeah. Yeah, and almost, I think as well, in the same scene, Danny, part of the, the story is that she's made May Queen. So yeah. she's sort of like adorned in this huge flowery dress. It's just like a thousand beautiful flowers creating this massive dress. And I think there's something in that theater where flowers is, it's all about sort of, yeah, like heartfulness and, and beauty. And, yeah. and and it's just like the absolute opposite of that. It's just like the most dire situation possible and she's in that. And then bears, it's like this really sort of kind of embodied, self-empowered, self-esteem sort of, you know, mother, mother bear, father bear, that's the sort of symbolism of it. And then they've just like ripped out a bear's innards and put this guy who's just absolutely powerless, completely like had everything taken away from him. Yeah, stick him in a bear and it's almost like the, the theatre of just the complete the, yeah. gaslit realities and all coming to a head in this like final scene where yeah the theater of the individualization Mm. right and uh, and i think that picture of her being dressed up in these flowers and just having this ashen face Mm. this drooping face and and florence Pugh uh can can do that face like no one else i think uh she's now famous for making that so she's she's becoming a big a big actress but there it's a real meme you know Mm -hmm. it's just a meme it's like Oh, I can relate to that. Like, it's a real mood to just be like <laughs> dressed in flowers and just have a face like that. Right? It's the de-individualization. <laughs> Wearing uh, your suit to work or whatever you wear to work and just on the inside being like that. Ah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. The theater of, of realities and life. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks, everyone. Mm, that, yeah. I think that was really nice. Yeah. I, nice. I, I like the um, the model that is emerging around what in all the ways that love and connected individual mm. uh, practice can uh, can save us from the horrors of the world yes and something that struck me when you when you painted that sort of picture and talking about this i think it's love including the darkness isn't it love including the darkness love including individuality and yeah. connection yeah that uh, that seems to be the ticket and um I think that surprise, there's a theme of surprise in here as well, like mm. l- the loving connection in all of these examples, all the films we've watched so far, except this one where things just turn to shit, mm-hmm. uh, manages to surprise the antagonists, mm. right? Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the unexpected, yeah. it's the allowing love to, ta- to change the world kind mm-hmm. of component to it, right? Well, very nice. Very nice. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed and see you again soon. Bye.